This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. This is Larry Begley, CFO of Cloud Health Technologies, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 313. many leads going in the top what's the conversion what's the velocity what's working where where in the funnel where in the seven stages of the funnel are things breaking down or slowing down and why first thing is to you know maybe just ask questions understand how does it how does it flow in your organization and often out of that you will learn you know where people are having some pain points From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Tim Steinkoff, CFO of Centrify, a hot cybersecurity firm based in Silicon Valley. However, Tim's finance career did not begin in the Valley. Along the way, Tim makes a significant leap. And in his own words, places a bet on himself. That chapter and much more we explore with Tim after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. next-generation identity security firm. Tim, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So we want to hear about uh, Centrify and learn a little bit about this space that seems to be ballooning very quickly now. But uh, as always, we like to first look back with our finance leaders and find out a little bit about them and their careers and how they built their careers. Um, what would you share with us as far as career experiences or milestones that you feel help prepare you for a finance leadership role? What would those be, Tim? Well, a couple that I would highlight, and maybe I'll go in reverse chronological order. So most recently here at Centrify, we were able to attain cash positive, being a growth company, you know, 30% growth, well over a hundred million dollar company, um, you know, 18 months ahead of the original plan, and you know that is a significant milestone in a growth company. 
you're able to do that by really focusing in on the effectiveness of incremental spend and not to not to get into it in too minutia but you always have to evaluate where you're investing or spending you know the corporate assets resources time and you have to try and look for the greatest return what am i getting back for this time and effort and um if you can continue to apply metrics and measurement to that, uh, hopefully you can move things along quicker. And we were able to do that here, uh, you know, turn to cash positive. We're well over a hundred million dollar company, um, growing significantly. So, you know, that's a great milestone uh, for us as a company, but for me and in, in my career as well. Um, so a couple companies back, you know, I had come out of a, a position of uh, Ernst & Young auditing career in you know, my first couple jobs post being a, a public company accounting and auditing person. Um, but I had reached a point where now I needed to leverage myself. So you, as a CFO, you gain uh, efficiency and effectiveness, uh, being able to leverage through others. And, uh, you know, a significant milestone at me, for me at that point was recognizing that I couldn't do everything myself, couldn't have my fingers in everything, but the best way to make sure that I could imprint, um, you know, the, the values and the strategies that I wanted or we wanted as a company at that point was to, this is the basics, but it's very important. You gotta hire the right people. You gotta get the right people in the right slots and then you really have to invest in those people and mentor them so that they are an extension of what you're trying to do as a company and as CFO, and so that they can make good and better and better decisions um, because they're dealing with more of the day-to-day -day details than you are. So um, the ability to recognize you know, that, all right, I've reached a point where, knock on wood, I seem to make you know, good judgments and have great experience, but how do I leverage that? It's through mentorship, great hiring, great people, and then mentoring those people to be effective. So that was a, that was a couple jobs ago that uh, I kind of crossed over that chasm, so to speak, and I found that to be a great, um, again, a, a kind of a turning point or a milestone in my career uh, at that point. When you were with Ernst & Young, you're in Silicon Valley uh, area today. Uh, where were you? I was actually in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Minnesota. And is that sort of your uh, your home <laughs> where you where you grew up? Yes, it is. I uh, I grew up in central Minnesota, and then I lived and worked in the Twin Cities for 15 years. I've uh, been out in the Bay Area now for going on 20 years. Interestingly, I made the assumption that you were probably uh, in the Silicon Valley office of Ernst & Young and cut your teeth uh, auditing startups and made that next sort of natural uh, career leap to take a, a finance corporate job in a tech firm. But you did not. You, you're, you were in Minnesota for the first portion of your career. And um, that means that somewhere along uh, the career track, you took a leap uh, geographically, which is not always easy to do. Um, you had to have had some relative experience to sort of... Uh, land in Silicon Valley and open uh, a new chapter uh, as a finance leader. Am I right? Am I uh, uh, punctuating uh, your career correctly? 
No, you're you're definitely the the items you highlighted are very appropriate. You know, I came I, my first job out of college was with Ernst and Young. Um, I was fortunate, uh, and it was in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And um, I was fortunate. I was an auditor, so uh, finance, accounting degree, etc. I was also a computer auditor. So when I was in college, um, a little bit, you know, good guidance by by people that influenced me at that point. I got my accounting uh, degree, but I also got my computer science major. Um, and at the time, I didn't realize how how fortunate, intuitive, good of a decision that would end up being. Um, but uh, my first job after Ernst & Young in the Twin Cities was with a private company. It was a growth company. It was a uh, high-tech printing company. And so I was focused in and got exposed to high-tech and the, the pace and progression of trying to stay on the leading edge of technology and this, of course, was in, in printing and digital printing, et cetera. Um, but, and that actually leads back to maybe another milestone I was going to highlight. During that course of that time at that company, um, I learned that I didn't want to just be a caretaker of the company's finances. I wanted to be proactive and try to add value in any way that I could find and I found that, you know, my CEO and president at the time, they were willing to listen to any and all ideas. You know, I just had to bring them the ideas. And so uh, it was a great environment to develop the curiosity of what makes this business move this way or that way? How could I bring financial metrics and measurements to it to try and help make a better decision or prove we should try something different. And, um, and that did lead to, uh, you know, I was there for actually uh, going on eight years and it kind of run my course. There wasn't much more for me to do at that company. Uh, we had grown a lot. I had, you know, we had drone, grown three, four, five X. Uh, the, the net worth of the company was up uh, probably double, triple that. And, um, but at that point, I wanted to continue in that environment and, um, you know, Silicon Valley seemed like the hotbed for that continued environment. So uh, I reached out to a lot of contacts and and uh, utilized the experience that I had, you know, gained at uh, uh, the company in Minnesota to um, springboard to a to a job in in the Valley here. Did you use a uh, uh, executive search firm to help you do that? I did not. Um, I did end up, uh, my first job here was with a high-tech startup. It was in the entertainment industry. Um, and they had a recruiter hired by them um, that I ended up connecting with. But um, I did it in some respects the, the good old-fashioned way. I, I contacted everybody I knew and, you know, one, two, three removals type thing or connections from Minnesota to California and just kept making connections. I've worked, probably worked on it for about a year, uh, but I did end up with like three job offers at the end of that uh, year. Um, but just trying to make connections, come out, visit people, make uh, uh, drive relationships, and eventually uh, met enough people to get an opportunity. Did you immediately go and do a CFO role? 
No, I didn't. I, um, I took a VP of finance controller role. Uh, it was a half a step back. Um, but to your point, um, you know, I needed to, uh, I guess I bet on myself at that point. I bet on myself that I wanted to get into the flow, get out to the valley, and then continue to work those uh, relationships and connections. Um, and I just, I bet on myself and the activity here that it would lead to uh, more doors opening, and, uh, and it did. And uh, today I should just mention, Tim's had several uh, CFO tours of duty over the years. The Centrify opportunity comes along. By this point in time, you've been CFO at multiple different companies in your past. You have a great deal of experience about finance leadership. What is it, the role that you want to create for yourself at Centrify? What is it that kind of, you know, made you say, yes, this is something, uh, you know, a role I'd love to take on? What was it? So when I, I really, when I come into a company, I want to bring kind of a progressive value add to that company. And what do I mean by that? So in a growth company, you know, the, the targets, the challenges of the marketplace or the market that you're in, the competitors, um, the customers, they evolve and change. And in the Valley, things evolve and change, you know, around the world as well, but they seem to evolve and change in the Valley even faster, but very fast. And so if you're going to be running finance, GNA, um, and all that it entails, some of it can be static, you know, um, but a lot of it needs to be progressive and nimble. And you're always looking for value add. There's compliance and risk. There's the things that you have to check the box and, and make sure just things get done right, okay? Um, but the true um, goal that I like to have is to bring value to the rest of the organization. How can finance and accounting, uh, FP&A, deliver not just information but data, you know, or not just data but information, but actionable. It has to be something that is not just interesting to you as the reader, but it's like, ooh, now that's very interesting, and I should do X, or I should at least challenge X or Y. So now you don't always attain that right out of the box, but um, again, you, every business has one or two or three things that kind of make it tick, make it go. And it's really trying to find those things and then provide actionable information for those um, in sales, marketing, R&D, product management that helps them then, you know, make better decisions or more informed decisions for the company. And then hopefully that, of course, drives the growth and, and progress for everybody. So um, I'm always looking to create that, you know, kind of that progressive value add um, coming out of the finance organization. So this company clearly was a lot smaller when you first arrived than it is today. So it's already experienced a good deal of growth. And uh, we know cybersecurity is uh, projected to be growing very quickly in the years ahead as well. But um, when you first arrived there, can you give us a sense of, uh, you know, your first order of business? What did you have to do uh, to, to get your team uh, established and, and pointed in the direction you wanted. What was uh, what was on your your docket? So really, the first two things I did was kind of you know kind of two sides of the same coin. Is one is 
just make sure you've got you know the right people in the right chairs, and that you're you're you know managing the finance functions and responsibilities appropriately. Um, because if you're not doing that, then you don't have any good base data to work from. So it's really about setting up the base data, et cetera. Um, the second thing to do is then, uh, one of my first hires was an analyst. Okay, um, I, you know, another another pair of hands to help me with. All right, I've got this data now. What can I do with it? Um, what metrics, what measurements can I start to look at and and tease on? And start to provide to people and discuss with people to see you know what's helpful um, and then you know so and one of the first things we tackled was the marketing funnel you know it's all about the funnel how many leads going in the top what's the conversion what's the velocity what's working where where in the funnel where in the seven stages of the funnel are things breaking down or slowing down and why you know it's it's first it's analyze what and then let's try and figure out why and see if we can improve on that so that's an example of kind of starting from there and then and then moving forward. You know, is I'm trying to like, is there a piece of advice you could share with finance leaders who are are just beginning to uh, sort of have those conversations uh, to get a better uh, fix on their funnel? Who are you? Is it the sales and the marketing folks who are helping you? Uh, you know, define the funnel or uh, you know learn the funnel or giving you the visibility you need to to come up with these types of metrics that can help them? I mean, what, wh where are you finding uh, the visibility uh, that you need? So the funnel is jointly owned uh, by marketing and sales. Uh, absolutely starts with marketing and then gets transitioned to sales. Uh, if I were to give some advice to, uh, you know, my uh, co-compatriots, it would be um, – First thing is to you know maybe just ask questions, understand how does it how does it flow in your organization, and often out of that you will learn you know where people are having some pain points just because it'll come up. Um, second thing is just to look at the process. The process alone, process improvements alone can add efficiency and effectiveness because it, it just could be cumbersome or you find the bottlenecks and you can take those bottlenecks and correct them things of that nature. Um, and then, then of course, you want to get into you know more of the details of 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 which ones work and move better than others, and then why. So it's almost with any business process. First, you, you just have to start and then evolve it, or uh, progressively uh, try to improve it. You know, continuous improvement type of uh, theory. You know, just understanding what first, and then you know, kind of the process involved, and maybe there's process improvements, and then you kind of go to the next level, things of that nature. So um, probably the, the most macro advice I'd give is don't try to boil the ocean out of the gates. Just start with one piece of it and then continuous improvement. You know, I, I use the vernacular crawl, walk, run a lot, and um, the, um, I just have to uh, continue with that. Okay, so uh, before we go any further, we should probably – learn a little more about uh, Centrify's offerings and what exactly um, it is that you believe uh, gives uh, Centrify uh, a, its competitive edge today in the marketplace. So, the, again, Centrify is 
you know, next generation identity security. And we're really focused on today's enterprise. And today's enterprise has identity challenges um, in, a, in a multiple areas. They have their employees, they have partners, they have customers, they have assets and information on premise or you know, in their own data centers. They also have apps and information and access and servers in the cloud uh, on the internet. And you know, today's enterprise will have multiple uh, identity stores. So, be, and the identity stores are different directories that control access and who has access to what for different things. And you know, the even small organizations will have the the challenge of multiple identity stores and you know, multiple ways identities are used and how access is, is given and gained and controlled, things of that nature. And we, we simplify the management of all that. We have an identity platform that really controls all of your identities from all of your access devices, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud, mobile, laptop, desktop, to all the different resources on your network, servers, you know, uh, information, apps, et cetera. And um, so one of our biggest competitive advantages is the fact that we are an end-to-end -end platform. There's no vendor out there that has the breadth of our offering. That's number one. Number two, though, we do happen to have, you know, point product competitors. And, of course, you know, then you get into kind of a best-of-breed um, type of uh, analysis. And we're happy to say, very happy to say that in um, you know, SAS identity, single sign-on, we are a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant. So we can point to that even in point product competition, we are a leader and we win based on specific um, you know, capabilities and characteristics. Also for privileged identities, Forrester has a way for PIM, it's called Privileged Identity Management. And we are a leader in the Forrester wave. So um, those would be three things I would highlight. One, nobody has the breadth of our offering. But two, even if we're going to you know, face off against some specific point product competitors, you know, Gartner has us as a leader, Forrester has us as a leader, and we can, uh, we can tout the reasons for why we're a leader in, in both of those areas. So what would be the key metrics? that you rely on to reveal how the company's performing today? So I really, really start with the front end. Um, sales and marketing activities and metrics, such as, you know, we were talking a little bit about the funnel, but, you know, inquiries, which is the very top of the funnel, MQLs, you know, marketing qualified leads, SALs, that's a key point, those two, and the conversion from MQL to SAL and the feedback loop from, sales to marketing to continue to improve the quality of MQL and the conversion to SAL, then of course that leads to pipeline and then a, you know, the ultimate conversion to bookings, you know, closed one deals. So it's really, you know, really on front end activities uh, because that, you know, that drives the whole engine, right? Um, then we get into more specific annual types of metrics, you know, ACV, annual contract value, ARR, annual recurring revenue, you know, things that, and you measure those quarter over quarter, year over year, you know, are you on the right trajectory? Uh, of course, we pay attention to cost of delivery, uh, the stuff that we're actually shipping out and, and providing. Um, and then 
I love to get into product lifecycle milestones and performance. Um, you know, the back end of the business support R and D is often controlled by, or very directly, but often people lose sight of. You know, product lifecycle management. You know, what you support for how long, how you communicate that to your customers, the upgrade cycle. Good management of the product lifecycle can lead to much more efficient expense and spend. So, um, so that's the kind of the final tale of the dog. Separately, I've begun asking our guests about the Revenue Recognition Standard ASC 606, knowing that it's a primary pain point for many, um, and the challenge that it presents to their organization. Um, what would you share with us? Uh, how are you uh, going about addressing this? So, um, you know, currently we're on ASC 605 and we're moving to ASC 606. We're a June 30 fiscal year end, so we're required to adopt it uh, July 1st of 18. So we're a year away, so to speak. And um, we do ship software and we do provide services. And we provide professional services, on-premise type of services. We also provide cloud-based you know, services, software and services. So we do have kind of the gamut of products and services, and so there is an impact to us from 605 to 606. The, um, the thing that for us, the initial evaluation is that there will be a fairly minor impact to us because we never tried to um, adjust our software offerings such that they would be recognized rateably under 605, and therefore 606 actually requires you not to recognize your software rateably. Uh, and again, I'm kind of going short versions here. It's, it's sometimes more complex than this. But so the impact for us is appearing to be fairly small. Um, having said that, our approach is to you know, you have to go through everything you sell and how you deliver it to the market, and you have to be able to assess the individual value of each of those pieces, uh, your standalone selling price, and then you'll be able to recognize revenue based upon that. So it is a complex, intensive analysis, and then every step along the way, of course, um, we're utilizing a big four as a consultant, and then we have a big four as an auditor. So, you know, we get to work with our consultant to get consensus and then work with our auditor to get consensus to make sure everybody's on the same page so that, you know, when we actually get to the point of, you know, flipping the switch, you know, everybody's on the same page. So it's a, it's a big project, though, a big item. Is there a finance strategic moment you can share with us? And by this we mean... Uh, you know, a moment of strategic insight that finance had the lines of sight into the organization uh, to have it register with them. That's, it might be a, a new opportunity that got on the radar. It might be a risk that got on the radar, whatever it might have been. Um, do you have anything that comes to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there was a moment in my career, uh, goes back uh, a company or two, where – 
um, the company I was at was adopting or trying to adopt a greater uh, adherence adoption of CRM on the sales side, sales and marketing side. And we had been struggling, or the you know, sales and marketing had been struggling with, you know, everybody kind of using it the same way, interpreting the data the same, and, um, you know, kind of getting much uh, value from it. And so there was, uh, you know, with, it, with any big strategic or big system type of adoption, conversion, you know, there can be pain points, and we were certainly feeling some pain. Um, and so I'm on the sideline, and what am I trying to do? I'm trying to drive adoption so that there'd be better data so we could have better analysis. And I can't get that unless I get people, you know, unless people are using it and everybody's on board. So, you know, I was, you know, on the outside looking in at this, and, and it occurred to me that one of my VPs, you know, one of the guys that reported to me, understood the data model at the company better than anybody in the company. Um, and he was one of my production. He was my VP of operations. But he really understood all of our data, customer data, shipping data, sales data, because um, he that's what he dealt with every day, all that back-end information. Um, so, you know, I went to him and I said, hey, would you take a lateral move and be the VP of sales ops? and really spearhead this adoption and project because I feel like we have the best opportunity for success if you take it. Um, and then it also allowed us to promote his next in line, his lieutenant, who was fantastic, and we were probably going to lose if he didn't get a chance to, to move up. Um, so it was strategic for the company and for finance because we could put somebody into sales ops, we would get greater adoption. We would get a good data model from which we could get then, you know, proper information to, to work with. We could also move up another person in the organization that deserved, you know, to move up and, and uh, be part of the, of the management team at that level. Um, and it worked out, you know, knock on wood, uh, it worked out wonderfully. The, we did attain great adoption uh, much quicker um, and it did drive some of our further growth because, uh, you know, because again, we were able to get good information out of it that helped us um, in our strategic plans going forward. So um, that, was a, that was a successful item for us. Okay, we'll now enter our mentoring round, and these questions are intended to inspire and mentor uh, aspiring finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Uh, I think the big thing is is that uh, finance professionals today are not looked at solely to run or caretake the numbers. They are definitely looked to uh, provide help in operations. And I think as a, a young finance person or you know coming up the ranks, that's very exciting because you're more in the action, you're more part of the decision making and can be. So um, I think that's a great thing. What do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? I believe, um, you know, the be proactive on your own. I did learn that quickly. Um, you know, the, the CEO and the board, they, they know what they know 
very talented people, um, but they're not all, or often very few of them have any type of finance background. So driving forward, um, there's not necessarily always somebody that's going to be like leading you. Um, so you have to lead yourself. And um, so uh, be proactive. Find your own mentors. Um, you know, hook up with somebody that uh, you can make a connection with that can help you foresee things in your career. Um, because you don't, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't get exposed to that person uh just on, you know, by chance, you maybe have to go seek it out. So I would, I would advise that. Do you have a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? You know, I'm an early riser. Um, I believe in uh, getting up a little bit earlier. Um, I work out at least six days a week. I get up early and work out. Uh, try to get my day organized, and then uh, get into the office. Uh, that, that, those are a couple things that work really well for me. But let me ask you, would you have a book to recommend for aspiring finance leaders? Uh, yes, I would. Um, it's not necessarily a, uh, a finance-specific book, but uh, one of the greatest books I ever read was by Keith Harrell, and the title is Attitude is Everything. You know, there are many things in that book that – um, I took to heart personally, but that I've also used in, uh, in and with my direct reports or my teams. Um, excellent book. I, I was a, it was an excellent book, and I still have it uh, and refer to it occasionally. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. I'm going to be asking Tim about his 12-month finance leader priorities right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Our final question, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? So over the next 12 months, um, there are more tactical things and then strategic things. On the tactical side, you know, we've already touched on one of them. ASC 606, uh, you know, that's something that we have to knock down and, and get in place. Uh, on the more tactical side, you know, we are a, pri we are a private company, uh, but we're striving to be in a position to uh, maybe not be just a private company in the future. So we continue to work on our infrastructure, et cetera, relative to future opportunities. Um, you know, more strategically, it's um, we have turned cash positive. And so the strategic balance between maintaining cash positive and yet taking additional cash positive, investing that for growth and value. 
and you know trying to or or holding that investment additional investment to the the um the bar of you know return so um you know looking at okay i've got another million dollars five million dollars ten million dollars what are we going to do with that and because uh, it's not just going to be spent uh, without some thought so uh, again tactically a few things but uh, also strategically tim steinkopf thank you for joining us on cfo thought Meter. thank you jack really appreciated your time today uh, very enjoyable It's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different CFOs. Let me repeat that, 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you want to consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute, there's something more here. We wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages, as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's, that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening.